0: Hello, welcome to the next in my series of studies in John's Gospel. One aspect of Christianity that often seems very difficult for others to understand and for some Christians is something they struggle with themselves is the idea that Jesus is the only way. That it's really important to believe in Jesus in order to know God. Well, what about those who've never heard? What about those who've never had Christianity explained to them in a sensible, and credible way? What happens to them? And isn't it incredibly arrogant of Jesus to say that only through him can we enter into a relationship with God? Well, I'm going to explore that because Jesus hints at it again. And uh, I'm going to try and look at what I think about that and how we can perhaps understand and explain this just a little bit better. John chapter 9 is where Jesus heals a man who has been born blind and the man comes and responds to Jesus and worships him. And that creates a load of resentment from the Pharisees who are a particular group of religious leaders who turn against Jesus once again. That brings us into chapter 10, where we read these words. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, says Jesus, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. And leads them out. Now, in our future studies, we're going to look a little bit more at this idea of hearing the voice of the shepherd and following him and all of that. But I want for this moment to look at this verse about the sheep pen. Now it's probable that what Jesus is referring to is the idea that at night the sheep would be brought back into an enclosed area, very often a courtyard around the building, and that this would be done for their safety. There would be quite a high fence, if not a wall, around the sheep, and the sheep would be brought back to keep them safe from wild animals or from thieves and robbers. That's perhaps slightly alien to us in our culture Well, we might allow sheep to roam the hills on their own. You may remember from the Christmas story that the shepherds were out at night watching the sheep. If the sheep were not enclosed in a pen, they would need a shepherd. If there wasn't a shepherd, they would be brought back into this safe place. That's the context of this uh, analogy that Jesus is using. A little bit later, we discover that the Pharisees don't understand what he's talking about. Jesus used this figure of speech. Uh, This is verse 6 of John 10, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. So what does he mean when he says that he is the gate for the sheep and anyone who climbs in any other way than through Jesus through the gate is a, uh, a thief or a robber. What does he mean by that? Well, firstly, he is talking to leaders, to these Pharisees, and he's saying that in order to lead God's people, uh, in order to lead the sheep, that was a common understanding that the people of God were referred to as sheep, meaning they were foolish but loved. Uh, He's saying if anyone wants to lead them, they must come through Jesus. He is the gate. They cannot reject Jesus and claim to be leaders of God's people. Now, what does that mean to come to enter through Jesus, to come through Jesus? Well, it means, as I've just said, that they cannot reject him. They cannot ignore him and that they have no authority without Jesus. So what they've just done at the end of chapter nine, where they have ridiculed and insulted and thrown out this man for following Jesus, where they've uh, told uh, people not to respond to Jesus. Jesus is saying, because you are not accepting my way, if you are not coming to God through me, then you have no right, no authority to lead God's people. You are in fact thieves and robbers. Now that's a very dramatic thing to say to a religious leader. Broadening it out slightly, it's clear that Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven can only be entered in through Jesus. He is the gate and to, to go in requires Jesus. So that leads us to these two fundamental questions, which is firstly, why, why why must we go in through Jesus? Why is he the gate? And what about those who haven't heard? So let's ask that first question, why? Why can we not reject Jesus and still love God? Why can we not uh, have nothing to do with Jesus but still be uh, okay with God? I want to give you four fundamental reasons. The first is that we cannot reject the truth of God made human. That it's really important in our understanding of God to believe that he came and took on human form. He became a human being. He became a baby in a stable. Uh, He took on the vulnerability. He took on the weakness. And that says a huge amount about God and it says a huge amount about us. It says that fundamentally humans are valuable and are significant and that our humanity is not dirty. It also says that God is humble and that God is reaching out and wanting to be involved with mankind. He wants to save us. And then really significantly, it is telling us that God behaves like Jesus because God is Jesus. And that's a really important thing that in any understanding that any religious leader wants to propagate, in any understanding that any religion wants to have about God, that perception of God has to be in accord with the Jesus we see on the cross God is Jesus on the cross. The one who takes our sin, our our wrongdoing, is God. That's how much he loves us. The one who says, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, that's God. And so any perception of God as somehow some kind of hostile, brutal, vindictive, unmerciful God is not who God is. So you cannot reject Jesus, the Jesus God, and still believe in God, because a rejection of the Jesus God is a rejection of the very nature of God. It is a rejection of him. They could not reject Jesus and say they knew God. Because God was Jesus. The second thing that's absolutely fundamental and important for us to grasp is that we cannot reject the need for a savior. So the whole point of Jesus coming ultimately uh, moves towards and is completed on the cross. Where he becomes the sacrifice that demonstrates, that our, firstly, that we are sinful and need forgiveness. And, sec- and, third, and secondly, that he is offering that. And so the problem with rejecting Jesus is we are tempted into two areas of rejection. Firstly, we reject the idea that God is forgiving, that God has taken our place, that God is deeply merciful and loving and wanting to forgive. But also, very significantly, we reject the idea that we need forgiveness. And so any religion that is based on our goodness and our um, ability to impress God, that says it's not us, that it's others who are to blame, that we are good, all of that is alien to God. He says, look, you need forgiveness. So to come to me, you need to accept your need for forgiveness. And that's really the crucial point here, that religion requires us to accept our need of forgiveness and trust and acknowledge that it is God who is bringing that forgiveness, not our behavior and not our activity. And the third thing that's crucial about Jesus is understanding the resurrection and the conquest of death that is possible for all of us who seek to respond to Jesus. And what that means is that it's really important to understand that this life is not all there is. We will die. And so religions or Christian leaders who seem to imply or play down death, who seem to want to prolong life here, who seem to imply that this life is all there is, all of that is alien to Christianity. Because to follow and believe Jesus is to believe that this life isn't all there is. And there is more. And there's a life, a resurrection to come, proven by Jesus. A resurrection to come that brings no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more tears. And the implication is that this life will have sorrow, will have sadness, will have tears. And that this isn't all there is, but we will overcome And the fourth and final part of Jesus that is absolutely crucial to accept is his call to love like him. New command he gives us to love others as he has loved us that we cannot reject the concept of mercy and forgiveness. And as any religion, any Christian leader, any religious leader who kind of teaches this harshness, this judgmentalism, this, this sense of condemning and rejecting and isolating and belittling people, all of that is impossible and incompatible with a relationship with God through Jesus. And so they're thieves and robbers, those who teach anything other than mercy and grace, forgiveness and compassion. And that in God, there can be no division, no discrimination, no inequality or judgmentalism. And all of those expressions of religion are alien and are propagated by thieves and robbers. Because they're not coming through Jesus. Because if you come through Jesus, you behave like Jesus, you love like Jesus, you understand humility and confession of sin, and you look to eternal life. So what about those who haven't heard? Who've never heard literally perhaps of Jesus and throughout history there are many people who've never heard of Jesus. Or perhaps more commonly people who've never heard a credible, realistic, truthful explanation. They've heard of him but they don't understand him. They've never been taught him. Or they perhaps they're, 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 what they've been taught by Christians is so distorted and so unpleasant and so uh, perverse that they would say, well, I don't want to follow a God who behaves like that. Is there anything in the Bible that gives us hope? Because we grieve for such situations. Well, what we discover is that that is very much the situation of the Old Testament. The Old Testament have not heard of Jesus. They've not encountered Jesus. They've not been taught about Jesus. And yet we know that salvation is possible. We know that people like Abraham and Moses and David and so on and so forth had a salvation and we will meet them in heaven. And it wasn't through their works One of the easiest people to focus in on is King David. He was clearly uh, messed up in big time. He actually commits murder having agreed to follow God. But what we do know is that he was a man of repentance. He was a man of humility. And what the Old Testament seems to teach us very clearly is that we boil it all down to this. That God is looking for the humble, for those who acknowledge their sin, who, who out of love and care know that they are not loving and caring enough and seek God's mercy. So Old Testament, that humility is what's required. And what that means is that there will be a perception of God that is in accordance with Jesus. And that when and if we are ever having Jesus explained to us We'll go. Yeah, that's who I thought God was. That's the kind of God I've understood. An Old Testament humil- uh, humility is one that seeks mercy, as I've said. Is looking to say, "Lord, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me?" It's not looking to say, "I've done nothing wrong. It wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. It was this, that, and the other excuses." But we come with humility. And when we come with humility and we seek God's mercy, then when it is explained to us that here is the God who shows us that mercy, we embrace it willingly. And the Old Testament humility is a hope of eternal life, of seeking God and hoping that this life isn't all there is. And therefore, when we discover that Jesus promises us eternal life, if we believe in him, then we receive that gladly. And lastly, it is striving to love. So what I'm saying is that there may be people around the world who've never heard of Jesus or their uh, representation of Jesus through the Christians that they've come across is so distorted and so unreal that they can't possibly have heard properly of, of Jesus. But because of God's revelation of who he is through creation and through his nature, I believe there will be people in other, ra- in other parts of the world whose understanding of God is the same as Jesus and in humility and grace seek his mercy and believe that this life isn't all there is and believe that God calls them to love. And so just as David is saved through Jesus, though he never met him, I believe there will be people in heaven who didn't know of Jesus. But they responded to the God that they hoped for and they discovered it was Jesus. So why tell anybody about Jesus? Well, we need to tell people for two big reasons. Firstly, because the other religions don't portray this picture of Jesus. And so to discover God in this way goes against some of the teachings of the thieves and robbers, the teachers who are teaching stuff that isn't of God. And so we want to make it easier for people to find God. But also we need to tell people about Jesus because there are many people who don't seek his mercy and need to be encouraged to do so. Who through the arrogance and are through our culture of self-reliance don't realize their need. And so when we walk up alongside them as someone who in humility loves God and knows our weakness and lives in the grace and forgiveness of God, we encourage them to respond. So some questions for reflection. Picking up those four things that are essential to Jesus. Jesus. The four things that mean that if we understand them, we can't reject them. How does that affect our lives? Firstly, is our perception of God Jesus-like or have we got a, a religious Old Testament kind of austere God that Jesus came to correct? Sadly, many Christians, I think, perception of God isn't jesus We need to see a God who identifies with the broken, who is good news to the poor, who draws alongside the sinners such that he was known as a friend of sinners, who responds with mercy and grace and compassion and gentleness. And secondly, are we people of repentance? Or are our shortcomings excused or unnoticed? Are we stuck? Because until, you, until we recognize where we need to grow and change, we can't grow and change. And until we say sorry, we can't move on. Or would we characterize ourselves as people of repentance, people who know what it is God needs to forgive in us? And we rejoice in that honesty and that forgiveness. And thirdly, are we resurrection people? People who do not live as though this life was all there is, but we are planning and building for a future life. Not afraid of death, not seeking to prolong, but waiting patiently. Not building up treasures on earth, but storing and preparing for our future destiny. And are we seeking to behave like Jesus, filled with love and grace? Jesus says to the Pharisees, you can't reject my model of God. You can't reject my call for repentance. You can't reject the eternal life that I am bringing. And you can't reject my command to love and call yourself a leader And the same applies to us. These four things are crucial for our walk with God. So let's pray. Lord, will you help us to come to you, embracing Jesus as we read in the Gospels. May we be people of humility, of repentance, of confession, of grace. May we be people of hope in a resurrection and eternal life. May we be people who trust in the God who behaves like Jesus. May we be people of love, of gentleness, of mercy, of compassion, of faithfulness. So lead us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.